Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to be taking a look at the major astrological transits of the month of March 2023. Uh, it's kind of a special episode today with Saturn in, uh, changing signs into Pisces and Pluto moving into the sign of Aquarius. We are going to focus exclusively on those two transits today. Um, and we will be uh, looking at some of the rest of the transits of the month on another day this week. Um, I figured we might as well devote some serious focused time to these two transits, which are arguably some of the biggest transits of 2023. At least most of my friends and colleagues who are astrologers have this month circled as like the month with lots of things to talk about. So uh, we'll be looking at those two transits and I will be joined uh, by my dear friend and colleague, Sean Nygaard, who is um, an astrologer here in Minneapolis, one of my dear friends and uh, a regular in the Nightlight Speaker Series, regular guest teacher in my programs and stuff like that. So um, really glad to have Sean here and I will introduce him in a minute and we will be talking also about a new podcast that he has out, um, which I'm really excited to share with you guys because I think that all of you who like my show will really enjoy the new program that he's put together. So we'll be talking about that as well. But before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe today. Share your comments in the comment section. We would love to hear from you and hear your reflections on uh, these two major transits that we have coming up. You can find a transcript of any of my daily talks if you prefer to read what has been uh, spoken on the YouTube channel. Uh, you can read the transcripts on the website every day, nightlightastrology.com at the blog. Um, if you have a story to share in the month of March with respect to the entrance of Saturn into Pisces or Pluto into Aquarius, don't forget to use the hashtag grabbed or email us grabbed at nightlightastrology.com with your stories. Uh, we aggregate those and put together some storytelling episodes, as you guys know. And these are big transits, so we'd really love to do some stories devoted to the ingress of these planets. If you have them, again, use the hashtag grab, put it in the comment section, tell us the transit, tell us your story. Uh, don't share anything that you don't want shared in a potential uh, storytelling episode. Of course, we don't use anybody's names. Um, or you can email us if you prefer to be a little bit more anonymous, grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. We use the hashtag grab because the one of the names for the planets in ancient Indian astrology was uh, the planets were called grahas, which means grabbers. And uh, it's funny how they will show up and just kind of grab us. And it's also a shout to um, kind of a shout out to a quote that I love that James Hillman liked to use that came from Auden, which is that we are lived by powers we pretend to understand. They show up and they just uh, seize us sometimes. And when they do, it's really fun to reflect on the way that they show up in our life stories and can learn a lot of good um, astrology from sharing these stories and reflect and learn a lot of things about life too. So we love this series and hope that you'll share your stories with us um, in the month ahead with a lot of big transits coming up. Well, on that note, I'm really excited to have um, my my buddy, uh, Sean, on the show today. So Sean, welcome in. Glad to have you here. Hey, Adam. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, totally. I'm um, really excited to have you here. Obviously, um, for people who don't know Sean, um, Sean is a fantastic archetypal astrologer and um, someone who's been working with archetypes and astrology for many years. Uh, Sean lives here in Minneapolis, right near me, and we get together regularly and have dinner and, and go out to the movies, which often become uh, opportunities for us to reflect on various planets and transits and uh, archetypes and things like that. Um, and I've also managed to drag Sean to uh, some sporting events. So <laughs> I like to drag him to the Twins games, which actually, if you don't know, baseball games are a, a, like one of the most mellow sports environments where you could really just get lost in conversation for several hours while also taking in games. So one of my favorite things from last summer was Sean and I would go to the games and we would sit and talk astrology and um, 
charts and archetypes and all the while turning our attention occasionally to watch baseball players playing baseball, which was really fun. So anyway, it's really, I'm really glad to have you here to talk about the astrology of March, which includes two major planetary, uh, planetary ingresses, Saturn into Pisces, Pluto into Aquarius. You've given talks on both of these subjects for my students in the speaker series that have been fantastic. People have absolutely loved them. Um, but before we get into that, I want to share with everybody the latest project that you've been working on, which is a new podcast series. Um, the podcast is called Imagine That. Um, and I'm going to just show you a little screenshot of it. And I want Sean to tell us about like this series and sort of the inspiration behind it. Here it is. Imagine That, Astrology and Archetypes, a podcast hosted by Sean Nygaard. Um, if you don't know Sean's work, this is a great place to start. If you haven't seen him in the speaker series, if you haven't gotten to know his work already, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough in terms of just very high quality astrological um, work. And uh, Sean has a really well-trained symbolic eye. And I'm always learning something new every time I hang out with him. So um, I can't recommend this highly enough. But Sean, tell us about your new podcast, You know the inspiration behind it, what it's all about. Oh, um, cool. That's that's a lot. And first of all, I have to second the baseball thing because that was really fun. I, I, I love going to baseball now, which I am now apparently saying on the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <So>. totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, um, you know, and, and I do want to say, you know, um, thank you for having me. And, um, uh, you know, your um, the people who have attended the the webinars that I do at the speaker series have been so gracious and the response has been so good to them. It's just been a big um, help for me, you know, to have that support. And when I was thinking about doing a podcast, cause I've been thinking about it for quite a while, you know, I also had to wait to kind of like, when does it feel right to do this? But one of the things was, you know, I, um, because I like literature, you know, one of my favorite authors is, um, as you know, is Olga Tokarczuk, um, the Polish author who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2018. And in her Nobel lecture, she was, you know, talking about the culture and she referred to kind of one of the aspects of the culture right now as, you know, a, a chorus of soloists only, hmm. all, you know, vying for attention and all that. And I just, for a long time, I was like, you know what, I completely agree with that. And I don't know that I want to sing in that choir. <laughs> and then eventually I just decided, you know, because of these big transits, you know, that are starting next month with Saturn and Pisces and Pluto and Aquarius, I just thought, you know what, I am joining the choir. I am going right. to contribute to that. And so you have imagined that, which um, the, the, my website is Imagine Astrology. So this is kind of a companion title to that. But it's also, you know, um, people don't know this, but years ago, I did a little internet radio show. And it was called Imagine That. And it was about astrology and archetypes. So I just thought, why don't I reinvent that in 2023? And um, this artwork looks so much better than the old version from years ago. And, you know, I'm just pleased to kick it off and get it going and see what we can do with it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to tell, show people how to find the, um, the link to the podcast in a minute and take people over to your website where they can listen to the first episode. But what is the mission behind Imagine That? I mean, if you maybe wouldn't call it a mission, but like, what, what are you hoping to share or look at? What, what can people expect when they tune into an episode? 
Um, anything goes, to be honest. Um, I, I'm planning it as I go, which is part of the process for me. But I, um, you know, you've already quoted James Hillman quoting Auden. <laughs> but um, there's there's a line that I remember reading in one of Hillman's essays, and I know the context, but that's not important right now. He just said, the neurotic foreground obscures the archetypal background. Hmm. And if you look at um, social media now, if you watch the news, if you walk outside, you know, there's a sense that, you know, things are kind of neurotic. Things are kind of like tense. And there's so much going on in the culture that I feel, and I've noticed that the, that archetypal background is getting obscured. And so I wanted to just have a place where, you know, I can just kind of do my own thing, have this playground to kind of create and form however I want it to go, you know, aligned with the astrology, you know, and also not, but um, just to be able to talk from the background into the foreground and because there's always the archetypal background there's never not an archetypal background and it gets obscured so i just kind of wanted to wash the windows so that it's less obscured <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i feel like one thing that our um creative content shares in common after listening to your first episode which by the way is called the old man and the sea goat and is about the completion of Pluto's journey through Capricorn. And you guys who like my channel um, will love it. So, but the, what I wanted to say about it was that people who like, like my content usually comment that they like it because one of the things that we do is we look at all the transits week by week. And a lot of the content is geared toward just looking at the multivalence of the archetypal combinations. Like what, what's going on with like, you know, this week we've um, we've looked at Venus, Jupiter in Aries coming together. We've looked at uh, Mercury and Saturn coming together in Aquarius. And we'll just turn that um, planetary combination so many different ways so that people can start to recognize, as you were saying, I would say the same thing, recognize the archetypal background. And some, if you're able to recognize it, I think what I take from what you're saying is that you can you can you can save yourself in some ways from the neurotic foreground you know you can <laughs> you can remember some some greater imaginal um landscape that exists and in my experience it has a healing effect it 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 feels good it feels great to take yourself to take the drama and place it back into the realm of myths and metaphors and legends and fairy tales and um and what i love about your your way of approaching archetypes is that, well, I would call you a storyteller, like your old man and the seagoat episode one was about Pluto and Capricorn, but it's, it's really multifaceted. You approach it from so many different lens from popular culture and singers to personal stories to, you know, great uh, statements made from former political leaders. And like the, you have a great way of weaving, uh, um, multiple different levels of of symbolism and occurrences of symbolism as a way of circumambulating an, an archetype like the final stages of pluto and capricorn or something like that so i think i just love the way you do it and i think that um as far as i understand like it, it in what you've told me about this series it's it's like 
however, whatever you plan on talking about and however you go into it, the idea is to help us get, get really deeply and richly into the archetype that of whatever archetypal level of whatever you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you. It, it's, I, I want to, you know, when I was setting up the podcast and on the platform and getting ready, you know, going through the settings, you know, and typing in who's the host, John Nygaard, you know, and doing all that stuff, it, it wanted me to do a setting of, you know, is this a weekly podcast? Is this a monthly podcast? Is this biweekly? What, what is this? And I just immediately checked no set schedule <laughs> because I have to go by a different schedule. Like, you know, ultimately the soul has its own schedule. It, it, it doesn't necessarily work by the same clock that, you know, the foreground does. And so, you know, I have every intent of, you know, doing episodes on a regular basis. I just don't know how regular, but I want to share a quick anecdote because the episode ends with a little um, nod to one of my um, teachers who passed away in 2021. His name was Jim Curtin. And when I started working with him years ago, originally, um, and, you know, I, I was, I learned Carolyn Mace's model with archetypes and sacred contracts and working with the archetypes, the way she lays them out and picking the key archetypes. The, the very first time I talked with Jim, um, he looked at the archetypes I had chosen and he said, where's your storyteller? I said, oh, I'm not a storyteller. I'm just not a storyteller. And over the years teaching classes in person or online, whatever it is, one of the feedback items that I've noticed that I've always thought is odd is people will say, you're a great storyteller. And I'm like, hmm, well, okay. I don't think of myself that way, but I've kind of finally decided to own that and just, you know, kind of work with the podcast that way, but not lean too much into it because it seems to be more natural, you know, the way that, the way that it works, you know, if mm -hmm. I just leave it alone, <laughs> it kind of takes over, but, you know, it just goes to show that we don't always know ourselves as well as we might think we do. And there's <laughs> always, you know, room to explore. So Thank you. Yeah. I'm just glad that the storytelling part of it comes across. Yeah. I mean, um, you can find the, the, um, the first episode you can find on Sean's website, which is imagineastrology.com. I have it on the bottom of the screen there. Once you go there, you'll see the first entry on the home page as the announcement of the podcast launch. And you'll find the description. Imagine that as a podcast about astrology, archetypes, archetypal psychology, and imagination. Presented from a rather wide-ranging Jungian perspective, this is astrology is seen through art, popular culture, history, movies, and literature, influenced by the work of James Hillman, Carl Jung, 80s pop music, and fairy tales, among many other things. And that's what I'm trying to get at, is that when, when I listened to that first episode, I mean, it was thoroughly Nygardian, I want to call it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is to say, like, you know, you have this way of layering and weaving um, the symbol together. Oh, 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 you like I said, you it's like you're, you're moving around the circle in this way that it stays so devoted to the, the what might call it like the core archetype. But you 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 don't ever try to arrest it or interpret it literally you mm. you awaken it and draw it out through all of these different levels and that's what's so wonderful about your talks and there's a lot of care and time um mm. you know my my work is five days a week and it's a little bit more um you know it's there, i think it's a great like um uh, 
compliment. If you like my work and the kind of five day a week stream of, um, you know, meditations on archetypes, think of this as a little bit more like a, a three hour epic or like, a, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going really deeply into the material in a really focused way and a much more like, um, you know, uh, it's like distilled and concentrated al alchemy going on in these episodes. So I think it's a, it's just something that I really hope my listeners will check out because I think that you'll get the same spirit of archetypal, um, you know, uh, symbolism in, in Sean's work that you, that you probably like in, in my own. And that's why we're also good buddies. Oh, thank you. Thank you again. And, you know, I will say it, it should be available, not just on my website there, because I couldn't figure out how to get a download link, but it should be available on all major podcast platforms. Um, let me know if you don't see it on the one you prefer, and I'll see what I can do about it. Um, mm -hmm. But it, um, oh, there was something else I was going to say about that. Um, oh, you know, it's just that when I'm doing it the way that I do it, I want to give people something that they can listen to more than once if they want, not because, oh, they can listen to my voice. It's just, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, inspired by Toni Morrison who wrote her first book because she, she there, it wasn't out there. Um, and she wanted to read the kind of book that wasn't out there. So she wrote it. I'm doing the podcast because it has something that I want to bring into the, into that conversation or into that chorus that, you know, I don't necessarily see as much out there as I'd like to, you know, as much right. as it was there when I started astrology, it's been yeah. getting obscured. So, you know, I just want to keep, you know, bringing that, you know, out more and more and more. And and that leads me to the last question that I want to ask you before we turn our attention into um, the astrology of March, which is um, what what is the first episode about the old man and the sea goat? I just want everyone to hear just a little bit about what they could um, expect to hear when they listen to this first episode. Yeah, it's um, well, just to go back to, you know, when you had encouraged me to, you know, kind of do the webinar on Pluto and Aquarius. Um, back for nightlight when, you know, it's kind of early, you know, Pluto doesn't move into Aquarius, you know, until next month. And this was maybe what a year and a half ago, or almost two years yeah. ago. Yeah. And when I did that webinar, um, the mountain astrologer reached out to ask if I could turn it into an article. So thank you to the mountain astrologer. And I ended up writing that article and it was published in their Capricorn issue. And one of the things, and you can also actually find the article right now on the front page of astro.com. Um, so it should be easy to spot, but it's an article called Pluto and Aquarius when the center cannot hold. And like in the webinar, one of the things that I do before talking about Pluto and Aquarius is look at Pluto in late degrees of Capricorn. And that's one of the archetypal pieces that if you saw the webinar and it's not a spoiler for the podcast, because you'll hear the details of it, but just the focus right now in the culture on old, on things old and you'll hear what i mean in the podcast but that's where the old man comes in it's the saturn dominance of things in the culture right now with saturn as the ruler of capricorn and i call it the sea you know the old man and the sea goat a little nod to ernest hemingway but also because i talk about the sea goat as the original symbol for capricorn and moving away from the goat climbing to the top of the mountain and returning it to the um the waters under the earth 
you know, which is something I can, it's a good segue into talking about Saturn and Pisces and Pluto and Aquarius, but you know, I'll follow your lead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Perfect timing. Uh, So before we move on to talking about these upcoming transits, um, I just want to once again, encourage everyone go check out um, Imagine That, Sean's new podcast. You can find it on imagineastrology.com and the like right there or any major podcasting platform if you search Imagine That. Um, And probably if you add the keyword astrology, it should pull up right away. Um, But yeah, I'm really uh, thankful that we got a chance to plug that for you. And um, on that note, I would love to, Mm -hmm. one of the first transits of March is Saturn's upcoming entrance into a water sign. Saturn's making this transition um, after having been in signs of its own rulership for uh, quite a long time. Let's just take up the real-time clock for a minute. And I want to um, just highlight here is on March 7th, Tuesday, March 7th, coming up really shortly, we have Saturn entering Pisces. There's a lineup of planets in Pisces at the same time, Mercury, the Sun, Neptune, of course. This makes Saturn now co-present with Neptune, which even though it's not conjunct by degree in ancient astrology would be very meaningful. They're starting to co-mingle their influence, even though they're not there by body yet and will do so over the course of the next two and a half years. Um, This entrance of Saturn into Pisces forms one of the major ingresses of 2023. And what makes it special in part is also that we're getting Saturn out of, you know, about five years of being in Saturn's own signs. And I'm not even sure at this point that we will, you know, we will, well, let me just put it this way. I think people will be shocked when they realize, oh, there's a different feeling than just the super Saturnine. Um, like when Saturn moves through other signs, it, it, Saturn acts and behaves very, very differently. Um, you know, five years of being in Saturn ruled signs can make you forget how diverse Saturn can, can be. And I think that's one thing that I'm just really looking forward to is that there's just going to be such a different feeling in the air around this Saturn transit. Um, Sean, let's start by just, what do you, what do you think we have to look forward to from Saturn's entrance into Pisces? Um, maybe we could also ask at some point what we should be aware of, maybe what we should be careful of, but what are you, what makes you excited about this transit? Mm. Well, first it was exciting to be part of the real time clock. I've never been part of your real time clock before. So that's cool. <laughs> but um, I, you know, to, to talk about Saturn and Pisces, you know, I, I'm not sure what I'm looking forward to, except that there'll be a change somehow, you know, even if it's just internal, but it's, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, what goes on in the world, but what, you know, what's, what goes on in the psyche as well, because it's the shift from Cardinal Capricorn into fixed Aquarius into mutable Pisces, a water sign. And if you just sit and spend time with like, what is cardinal, you know, cardinal earth, Saturn and a cardinal earth sign, you know, being the boss and being all in control and, you know, feeling confident probably and moving into air and being more fixed and feeling certain. It's like, there's a, there's a step off the edge of the dock when Saturn moves into Pisces that can bring with it a great deal of uncertainty, but to know that in advance, you know, and kind of be prepared for it, I think is um, enormously helpful. 
but then also to spend time, you know, and I can start to fill in a bit of that, you know, the backdrop that I like to talk about. Um, to spend time in the backdrop means that you're not so caught up in the neurotic foreground because, you know, it could get neurotic, you know, because people after feeling very, you know, I, I wouldn't say that current Western culture is dominated by a sense of security, <laughs> but, you know, moving into Saturn and Pisces, you know, it can make people feel uncertain even more, but to, you know, to fall back into the backdrop and to spend time there gives some breathing room. It gives, you know, more options. It, it opens it up and to really, really embrace what mutable means. It means, you know, as a mutable person, you know, myself, it's like to be adaptable and to be flexible and to work with that in a, you know, at the same time that you're dealing with Saturn, who's known for his ability to be rigid, you know, and hold things together, which is what you want. But what does that mean to, you know, to be able to be mutable, to be adaptable and to go with the flow in a certain way, you know, at times. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a learning process for, for all of us, I think. Yeah, for sure. What would you, I mean, what do you make of the, almost like the, the mood or uh, change of atmosphere that could take place with Saturn going into a sign that is, you know, the rulership of Jupiter and the exaltation of Venus? What kind of difference do you think that makes for Saturn? Well, I think, um, I mean, just in general, it's a huge difference. Like, you know, and I mentioned this in my, in the podcast episode and the next episode is going to be about Saturn and Pisces. So I might repeat some things, you know, there that I talk about here, but if you just, you know, think about, you know, Capricorn, you know, cause I'm, in, I'm kind of integrating Pluto moving from Capricorn into Aquarius and how that that starts to end a whole series of things that started with Capricorn, not just Pluto's move, but we're in cycles that began with Saturn Uranus in, well, that was Sagittarius, but moving into Capricorn, but there's a whole generation of people born with Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune in Capricorn, the Saturn-Neptune cycle, the current Saturn-Pluto cycle. You know, there's, there's so much right now that has been founded in Capricorn, and that's going to shift, you know, in a significant way when Pluto moves into Aquarius, but then Saturn in Pisces, it can open something for, you know, I hate to use the word gentle, but, you know, there's something about Pisces that to really work with Pisces, to tune into Pisces and to, you know, be Piscean. And if you don't have any planets in Pisces, pretend to be Piscean because, you know, it's going to be there for all of us. I remember when Neptune moved into Pisces years ago, I said, you know, when Neptune moves into Pisces, we all become poets, you know, and there's some, there's some bad poetry out there these days, but you know, it, it, you know, it's that this is something that we all can step into, you know, we can all begin to work with, but it's softer. And, you know, in reflecting on it, I was just thinking it's, it's a really difficult thing to say, but Saturn in Pisces does really well by embracing melancholy. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm not sure that anybody wants to do that. You know, I'm not sure, you know, it's sort of like pointing in the direction of, you know, what would now be called depression, but melancholy has, you know, it's not the same thing as depression. I remember Hillman would talk about how depression is melancholy without the gods. Right. It's like depression is the diagnosis, you know, obscured from the archetypal backdrop. Right, you know, exactly. Which yeah. gets us, you know, gets us too tight and too bound and too anxious, you know. But melancholy is actually something that offers space and offers reflection. It's downtime, which I think, you know, a lot of people um, desire, you know. And it's it's a space to dream. It's a space to Im- literally imagine. So I just thought another reason for the podcast is, you know, it kind of suits Saturn and Pisces. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's something, um, well, in, I was just thinking a little bit about um, the time that I spent over the past several years um, studying and practicing bhakti yoga. And one of the principles of that religious tradition, you could say, is the idea that um, there's different religious paths in the world. And some of them are have been, and, and I thought this description I, I read somewhere recently was really nice that some of them are paths of no crying. <laughs> I thought it was a funny way of putting it. Um, you, you know, and in those paths, there's a sense that your personal nature is, you know, an illusion that you're supposed to be getting rid of as you merge back into the ground of being. And for people like that, the shedding of the idea of identity or ego in, in, and so on is, is sort of primary and they describe that path this author did as a path of no tears <laughs> you don't find that individual that kind of sage or mystic crying um and he said but you know for other traditions and he talked about contemplative christians and sufis and um and of course bhakti yogis and others um the path the spiritual path is found in and through the world in and through the body through the, the valley of the world. That's a phrase that Hillman would use that we both like. And that that is a path of tears. That's mm-hmm. a path of crying. And he described it that way. And I just, I loved it. And I thought, yeah, um, I don't know if I would call myself, uh, you know, very religious at this point, you know, I was kind of um, stepping away from any kind of religious affiliation. But if I had to describe myself, my religious path now, I've, I've just kind of jokingly a few times to friends said, well, whatever my path is, it's a path of tears <laughs> and, <laughs> and laughter and other very human fleshy things. But I think one of the things that I'm hearing you say about Saturn and Pisces, and maybe you could say a little bit more, is that there's something that it, something about Saturn and Pisces that says, you know, there's there's a lot of richness and soulfulness in looking at the the sad, broken longings and the complicated emotional spaces that we have that are sometimes filled with beauty, but a little bit like hurt. Mm -hmm. And that somehow these spaces can be um, opened up and, and, and maybe, or maybe even there's some sense of like, don't exclude these things. Yeah. um, Okay. I'm going to, this, this might sound like a sidetrack, but it's not. Trust me, this is heading somewhere. And, you know, in the in the podcast, I might end up, you know, I don't think it'll be an ongoing series or anything like that. But it's like reflections from the treadmill. 
And, you know, the, um, one of the songs I was listening to recently, because I'll get on repeat one mode and I'll listen to something. And, you know, it, it, it's imp it's always important for me to follow the moods because I am a Piscean person in a lot of ways. And I follow the moods of things as if I'm a fish in the ocean, you know, just following something other than reason, following something other than the intellect, you know, the heart comes online. So one of the songs I've been listening to on repeat and loving it is a, a, an album track from the Pet Shop Boys called Dreaming of the Queen. And, you know, it's, let's see if I can remember the opening lyrics, because it's, it's a it's quite the production. It's just wonderful. But he says, you know, I'm dreaming of the queen visiting for tea. You and her and I and Lady Di. The queen said, I'm aghast. Love never seems to last. However hard you try. And I replied, that there are no more lovers left alive. No one has survived. There are no lovers left alive. That's why love has died. And it goes on and it's kind of funny too, the way the song goes. Um, it's got a sense of humor and a little bit of playfulness. Because um, in England, I guess, dreaming of the queen is a thing oh, <laughs> but, um, when it happens. But I thought it was interesting, but, you know, I've been listening to the song. There are no more lovers left alive. There are no more lovers. What a, what a concept. And to be chatting with the queen about this, you know, and what I realized is that the album came out almost 30 years ago. Bless you. The yes. album came out almost 30 years ago when Saturn was in Aquarius. Oh, and so I feel like, you know, I was getting a sense of something where, you know, too much Saturn, too much whatever it can, you know, it, it's got other, those signs have other strengths and the planet has other interests than the heart necessarily, you know, which is important um, that those other interests are there, but you don't forget the heart. And maybe sometimes right before it's about, right before uh, Saturn is about to move into Pisces, this is one of those songs that came out. And so when Saturn moves into Pisces, it's a, a you know, and I want to take another step back into that backdrop to talk about Saturn in Pisces, because we are, we're also in a, a Saturn Neptune cycle that began in 1989 when Saturn and Neptune were conjunct in Capricorn. And that was when the movie dead poet society came out. Mm, yeah. Um, and, you know, I have an article on my website, you know, that references that, but I was thinking last night, you know, anticipating coming on and talking with you that, you know, we're in that cycle. Neptune is in Pisces. Saturn's going to enter Pisces. And we're kind of at that stage in the movie Dead Poet Society where the Robin Williams character, um, Keating, has been fired. <laughs> Nobody's interested in that. Nobody, you know, it's like it's too disruptive. The, you know, the romanticism, that kind of inspiration, that kind of life that he brought was expelled. And you can, you know, there's different ways you can look at that, but you'll hear why I bring that up. You know, if you listen to the first episode of the podcast and, and when I talk about the old man, you know, but it's like when Saturn moves into Pisces, 
where Neptune is, and then we're in this cycle that's coming to a close, it's as if we need to rehire the Robin Williams character and become inspired that way. Yeah, that is, that is so well said. I am, um, I want to show everybody something that just popped into my head while you were talking. Um, if I can just get this little image saved here. Yeah. Okay, so you see go. how I operate. There's songs, there's music, there's culture, hey. there's references, you know, maybe it's a story, maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> that made total sense. And this is what I was telling everyone earlier when I was saying, like, I just, I love the way that you'll pull things together. It's, it's really, really nice. Um, so in now, this is an interesting story. So Saturn entered Pisces uh, in January of 1994. Um, so uh, this was actually right around the time that I first saw Dead Poets Society. It had come out earlier, but I was, I think when it came out, I was like nine years old. Yeah. You know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I actually saw the movie for the first time. Uh, in about 1994, let me just see, hold on. I just, I know exactly. So I was in the seventh grade and I was, yep. Okay. So it would have been 94. Uh, the year that Saturn went into Pisces was the first year that I saw dead poet society. Uh, Cause I was in the seventh grade. And um, one of the things that is super interesting about that is that, um, that I got. So after I saw it, I asked for my birthday for the poster and my parents uh, had it. What is it called? Dry, dry mounted. Do you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Mm -hmm. So they had it dry mounted for me and I had a massive dead poet society poster <laughs> that um, I put in my bedroom. And it, the first place that it really adorned was a basement bedroom that I moved into because I didn't want to be close to my parents, right? Because I thought I was getting to that point where I was like, oh, they're such a drag, you know? Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I don't want to hang around them. And so I was moving into the basement and that poster was like the first thing that I hung in the basement. And it ushered me into this era in my life where I started um, writing all the time. And I ended up winning this like little minnesota young authors competition thing mm -hmm. and um and I, I had this i had notebooks and i would just you know one notebook after another i would fill up with poetry little things i mean just all whatever i would write lots of stuff some of it was poetry and and i was learning to play guitar and it was this very very angsty emotional time for me and music and i and i've told people this on the channel before um and and you and i talked about this one time when you were preparing your talk on saturn and into pisces that the the album melancholy and the infinite sadness had come out and i just remember this period as being the period in which i lived in that basement room with that dead poets society poster and was writing super angsty <laughs> you know stuff and starting to feel like the quality of my emotions and the, the level of intensity that I had in, in my, my feelings and my thoughts was starting to make me feel like I didn't fit in at high school. There, it was like I was starting to hang out with more artistic people and distancing myself from the athletic community that I was a part of. Hmm. So, you know, I, I, all of those things now in hindsight as an astrologer strike me as so Saturn in Pisces. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and I think I've said this before, but that 
what's the album called melancholy and the infinite sadness that's right yeah i think that's like you know the the album cover is beautiful yeah i i i i I find the album unlistenable just because of my (laughs) musical tastes Right. So it's, it's, you know, but from an archetypal perspective, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. I, I get it. I get, you know, and the timing of that coming out and the, just the title and the way the album cover looks, it's, you know, it's so resonant, but you know, who wants to, again, you know, enter the realm of melancholy, but that's, you know, it's not the only thing on the agenda, but it's really important to take that time because, you know, to honor Saturn, it means what are we spending time doing? What are we spending time with in this sign? And for Pisces, that's one of the entryways. That's like the door opening to enter Saturn in Pisces terrain. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'll never forget? I had a girlfriend during this period of time and um, I, we broke up and the, one of the last letters that she ever wrote me, which was like a very, you know, sappy love note that she wrote me, we went to the same church and the, um, the love note was written on the back of a church bulletin that she passed me <laughs> during the worship service. And on the back of it, we were, there was something about celebrating Mary. And, um, there was, it was like Mary and there was a, one of those star of the sea emblems. There's a lot of like, uh, Mary and uh, Mary and star of the sea. There's something in, in like Christian, um, iconography and art, but anyway, it was a picture on the back of the bulletin of the, you know, like the, the Virgin Mary or mother Mary and this star of the ocean. And I kept this bulletin with this love note. And (laughs) that was during that period too. And I just was, I would read it and reread it. And I was so heartbroken. I cried for Mm. like a week after she broke up with me. (laughs) And I just, to me, as I've been reflecting on this, because I've been jotting down a lot of notes recently and thinking about how to talk about this transit. And as I was reflecting on melancholy, infinite sadness, one of the songs on that album is called Mary star of the sea. Hmm. And I think that was one of the, probably the first times that I can remember in hindsight. Now I'm realizing this, that I had something like, I don't know if we call it a synchronicity, but a meaningful (laughs) sync between this album, this song, this bulletin, this love note, this breakup. And they were all like commingled um, Mm -hmm. during that, during that period. Yeah, that's right on time. Right. (laughs) And, you know, and it's one of those things that because Pisces is the two fish, you know, melancholy isn't the only door, but it's also, if you enter that door, you want to remember that there's also this inspirational piece, Mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, a lot of the great art, a lot of the great stuff comes from that place of melancholy, but it's also looking at what inspires you. You know, it's that shift from Capricorn where Saturn rules and Mars is exalted and they're the malefics, which have a lot to do with the nature of the culture we find ourselves in today into Pisces, which is, you know, like you said, Jupiter ruled and Venus is exalted. And those are the benefics. So it's not like suddenly we can expect everything to be benefic, but it's, it's that shift in tone that, that opens up other possibilities that, that lifts us up from that um, kind of malefic backdrop of the last many, many years. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that period when I'm reflecting on it now, just to kind of tie this together that, you know, I ended up doing an MFA in creative nonfiction and, um, a huge portion of the book I wrote, which would end up launching my career in astrology. And like my whole twenties were defined by going to graduate school for creative writing hmm. that all started during that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my, um, now that's in my 11th house, which was also called the house of wishes and dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I really started my trajectory as a creative writer during that very angsty period, which, you know, creatively was, you know, at the time, I never would have guessed how far that inspiration would have taken me and how many dreams and possibilities and doors it would have opened that were, you know, by con- comparison to how angsty I was feeling would end up going in so many other different directions. Yeah, yeah. And I think, it, you know, part of what I draw from what you're saying is, you know, that there is this angstiness or there is this melancholy or is this this sadness, but it's that's not the whole story of what's going on in that moment of feeling that yeah. other stuff is at work. Uh, you know, that's where, you know, inspiration can come from that, but you won't know that if you don't go there. Right. And so that's part of the adaptability or the mutability of yes. Pisces is if you're going to get all fixed, you're not following the instructions, right, right. <laughs> you know, because you know, I sometimes I just imagine these, you know, planets and signs when they're moving, you know, come with instructions. Right. You know, this is, you know, um, and in Pisces, they're kind of like more like Ikea instructions with the with the pictures <laughs> rather than the words. Right. You know, and you can you know, I remember when I set up an Ikea thing upside down by accident and had to deconstruct it and put it together <laughs> again. You know, that can happen. But, you know, it's mutable, which means everything can be mutable. It's not just, yeah. you know, anything getting too fixed, you know, and you'll know when to, you know, ah, this is it and stick with it. And stick with it because that's also Saturn is the commitment to something, mm-hmm. but you'll know when to commit, when, when the thing requires commitment, you know, and it's a different kind of commitment than Saturn and Aquarius. I mean, you know, the commitment also to the hard feelings, that is a hallmark in, of that period of time for me. Like I remember going to cheapo records here in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and flipping through the, would be a little click noise that flipping through the CDs would make because they'd all be in a row and you do a click, 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 click. And you'd be flipping through looking at all of them. And I mean, when I was in really dark moods, which was pretty often during that period, I would go and I would just spend this, I would just be just, stubborn about finding music that could somehow address the moment. Mm-hmm. And I ended up finding so much good music during that time that I still love because I was so like, almost like obsessed with finding a musical cure, you know, and often the cure was not uplifting. It was something that would match the mood and give it some kind of put me into that archetypal background. I think, I, and I, I think that that some kind of, you know, following, you know, almost like there's a fluidity. Like I can see myself exploring and meandering around looking for breadcrumb trails that lead to that well, it's, album. It, it's, it's like fish in the ocean or like echolocation. It's life yeah. by echolocation. You know, it's a different way of operating and moving through the world. You know, yes. when, when Saturn moves through Pisces and Neptune is in Pisces as we're mm-hmm. heading to the close of that um, cycle that began in, 
Yeah. And I'll just, yeah. I'll just add that in 1989, that was my first year of college. And my first week of college ended with them showing dead poet society. Oh, wow. And I, and I had already seen it and I already loved it, but it's like, I saw it again and it put me in that mode of, you know, deep reflection when I went back to my dorm room and, you know, was just kind of pondering things. But that year I became um, kind of the rebel poet and, you know, the classes I was taking and what I was writing about, I imagined myself being a rat in a sewer looking for true love and you know, it's just <laughs> anything went. And that was when I met my best friends that I'm still friends with today. So, you know, that's wow. the kind of, you know, the, remember there's two fish, you know, and they can be contradictory, but they're together. You mm. don't get one without the other. And if you pretend that the other isn't there, it'll, I reserve the right to take this back at some point, but it'll turn into a shark and it'll get you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. if you forget the other one is there, you know, it'll remind, yeah. it'll, re the, 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 the way to say it is, you know, if you forget the other one is there, it'll remind you. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's, yeah. They're, they're, in some images, their tails are tied together, you know? Oh, they're so, always tied together. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's yeah. like the core symbol is these fish tied together swimming in opposite directions. But it's, it's that paradox of things that seem to have opposite intent actually working together. Mm. It, but stretching us, they, they stretch us. And, you know, that's part of what's asked of us. Yeah, absolutely. I like that, that the, the images in one of the images that I like, one is swimming eastward and upward, the other one westward and downward. And I've heard someone reflect on that one time, you know, talking about the desire to go up mm. and the desire to go down and in, and that um, these Oftentimes these two impulses, uh, like call it spirit and soul in Hillman's work, for example, are, um, you know, they'll be pitted against one another or something. But there's like some way of living life where they they somehow work together. But I, and, and, yeah, and I would say, you know, that the, you know, I recommend the going down and in first right now, because mm -hmm. that's the part that is um, largely absent in the culture. You know? Yeah. And I think what's amazing about well, when I reflect on that period, that so much of the going down and into the feelings that I was having as a young, like, you know, just developing artists, for example, they would, those things in embracing those things would be in many ways inseparable from a spiritual impulse that would develop at a later point in my life. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you, you know, but I like your advice to recommending to go down and in. I think that's a good one. It's a good place um, to start. And just yeah. in terms of an archetypal story, when I was a kid, one of my favorite childhood books was called The Man Who Took the Indoors Out. And it was like, you know, I would read it over and over again. And um, the man who took all of the chairs and dishes and everything from his house and musically conducted it out into the world. And it was like, you know, baby training for archetypal psychology, you know, for, for Sean Nygaard, you know, to have this book, because when you think of that title, taking the indoors out, you know, mm. it, it like, you know, starting from the inside and then moving to the outside is, um, it's not the only way, but I just, I encourage that, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, 
to keep us moving along in March here, let's look at the next transit. I think there's a lot more that can be said about Saturn's entrance into Pisces. Certainly, I'll be covering it myself from a few different uh, angles. Uh, Sean, I'm guessing you'll be doing something on your podcast about Saturn into Pisces too, right? That was your plan, I thought you had said. Yeah, I mean, I taught it at Nightlight, and I don't want to simply repeat what I did there, but I think I'm actually going to use an audio clip from, from that talk in the next episode of the podcast, but it's going to be um, the Saturn in Pisces episode, you know, yeah, hopefully re released, you know, before March 7th. The talk you gave for the students, I believe, was called Dreamtime, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that was a really good talk, and uh, so I can't recommend highly enough, that again, that you check out imagineastrology.com where you can find Sean's work and also mm. the first episode of the podcast. But then eventually it sounds like pretty soon there'll be another episode on Saturn into Pisces, which could give you more on, on, uh, on that um, transit from Sean's perspective. And I, and I kind of suspect that, you know, as the podcast develops, it's not just one episode that tells stories or tells a story, but it'll be an ongoing story from episode to episode. If you listen to it that way, you know, it develops yeah. from the previous episode or previous episodes, and then, you know, just kind of all becomes linked. Yeah. March 23rd, Pluto enters Aquarius. And you have done a fantastic job in the written word for the Mountain Astrologer for uh, my students at Nightlight. You came and gave a fantastic talk. You've given that talk elsewhere, I believe. Um, so you've had a lot to say about this already. And you talked a little bit about this in the first episode of your podcast, too, in concluding thoughts on Pluto and Capricorn. You do talk a little bit about Pluto into Aquarius. But here is March 23rd, same month. And um, you can see, actually... You know what? Let me uh, reshare this here so I can actually show something on the screen. Sorry, guys. Hold on just a second. All right. So um, you will see here is Pluto's entrance into Aquarius on March 23rd. Now, Pluto's going to spend a little bit of time in 2023 in Aquarius before retrograding back into the late degrees of Capricorn. So you've got from late March until about the middle of June this year. Then it comes back you know, early part of 2024, all the way through about the end of 2024 toward the autumn uh, with another slight retrograde into the very last degrees of Capricorn. So by the end of 2024, Pluto's entering Aquarius to stay. So you could call this like a, you know, a year and a half long uh, launch pad that Pluto has moving um, in, you know, sort of blasting off into Aquarius. We're, gonna, we're all going to get a taste for it one of the videos I did recently, Sean, um, was on like what not to listen to about Pluto into Aquarius. Hmm. And I, I covered, you know, the five most hyped up, exaggerated over the top things that you might see people saying that I've seen in my social media feed, like the whole society is going to change on March 23rd. And we're going to make the leap to the age of Aquarius in, like hmm. overnight. Hmm. Most of what I talked about was like how this transit, although it can have so many different very powerful transformative effects um, that to stay away from those that say they're all going to happen in some singular moment of massive societal change. So <laughs> <laughs> the entire so, planet earth is going to become an AI chatbot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, be careful of that. But I did promise that we would talk about some of the things that I think you can expect um, from Pluto and Aquarius. And really, I think, you know, there's no better person to talk about that than Sean in some ways, because I've, I've um, had the pleasure of hearing Sean talk about this 
multiple times, both formally and like informally over dinners, like, you know, to the point where I was like, you need to come and teach this. And so, um, yeah. So Sean, what do you, what do you think about this transit? Just walk <laughs> us through it. Tell us everything um, that's going to happen. Well, just, you know, I, I want to save a lot, you know, one of the ways I operate is if I write an article, if I do a webinar, if I do a podcast and it's all on the same topic, you can, you can read or listen to or watch all of them. And I'm not just because you need to see me. It's just part of me is programmed to do things differently each time. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I can repeat things, but I'll also say new things. And that's one of the ways that I learned astrology was, you know, just listening to lectures from the same teachers and on the same topics, but the same teacher doing this, uh, the same topic at different locations and seeing, you know, that they did things differently, that each, that certain teachers that I followed were worth listening to. And that's what I admire, you know, so I don't mean to be repetitive or anything, but in the article, I avoid any talk of artificial intelligence because I know that's one of the routes that people talk about because of Aquarius. Okay. It's not my thing. I mean, for all I, you know, if, if everything wants to be taken over by artificial intelligence, I will still be a human being with a soul. <laughs> and right. that takes precedence over anything, you know? So I just kind of come from that perspective. And I was looking for other things to say, other ways to talk about it. And I'll say, you know, just another bit of feedback that I liked over the years that I, one of my favorite comments from somebody was they, they liked that my answer in a Q and a was, I don't know. <laughs> because I said, you know, they asked a question and I said, I don't know. And instead of pretending that I know or carrying on as if I know, or, you know, whatever, it was just like, yeah, I don't know. And so with Pluto and Aquarius, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I think a lot of people don't know, but that is a doorway into how I want to talk about this right now. Because one of the things I keep thinking about you know, because Pluto, for example, when I go, when I work with things, I, Pluto, I just very different from Saturn, you know, like I try to separate the two things that I'm working with or looking at, or I try to find something to differentiate it, to pull them apart, to start to see Pluto, you know, as clearly as I can, um, on Pluto's terms, but Pluto's, you know, Pluto and Saturn have a lot of similarities, but Pluto goes into the depths as the ruler of the underworld. And that's the realm of the unknown. And so to go back in terms of the cycles, you know, Pluto 500 years ago in Aquarius was the start of the scientific revolution. So it was the start of a whole way of thinking and perceiving that wasn't quite the way that, you know, since then that it was before then we we entered the scientific revolution and it's something it's a it's a perspective it's a mind frame it's a way of looking at the world that we take for granted today because it we're so used to it and we depend on it in so many ways just to have this conversation you know is you know in we're indebted to the scientific revolution for this live stream <laughs> mm -hmm. And then when Pluto returned to Aquarius 248 years later, that was amidst the age of enlightenment and the age of reason, which was a product of the scientific revolution. 
So these are the, the grand cycles of the scientific revolution, the age of enlightenment, emphasizing light. And when Pluto comes along now and enters Aquarius, I, I want to emphasize, first of all, that we're, you know, to, to follow suit, it's going to, you know, it's a shift in consciousness. It's a shift in how we look at something, but Pluto would be most linked with the unconscious. So there's something about developing that relationship with the unknown, with those parts of us that don't know, you know, which is a contrast to asking a chat bot for the answers and having it spew out some elegant, richly detailed answer that threatens human consciousness, <laughs> who knows, but, um, it's to, it's like the start of the pandemic. There was that time where I think if people go back and remember that, it was, we didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow in, in five minutes that evening. We didn't know, we couldn't look six months ahead because we didn't know, would there be a vaccine? Are vaccines important? Do we care about vaccines? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, we didn't know. And what that means, instead of being intimidated by that or turned off by that, I started to think of that as the soul has never been closer. Hmm. It's right here. We are like arm in arm, neck and neck with the unconscious. And that's something to, you know, Jung was very clear. Carl Jung was very clear about the role of the unconscious and certain of his quotes get skewed, you know, and, and in the wake of 500 years of focus on light and consciousness and enlightenment and the sun being the center and the light shining and shining the light on everything to the point where, you know, you walk into a target store and there's the lighting is such that there's no shadows. Right. There's no shadows because, you know, things happen in the shadows, you know, people might steal something. <laughs> so get rid of all the shadows, you know, all of that. And this move away from the shadows has affected our mental health because it's just too bright, too much light all of the time. And it's a confusing conversation. So I'm just touching on something here that I'm going to probably talk about more in depth elsewhere, you know, you know, with more time, but do you see what I'm talking about is that to, to really work with Pluto, we want to be, you know, and there are other planets moving through the, you know, around the, in the sky. And so it's not the only story. It's not the whole story, but we want to be able to start to embrace shadows again, mm. not the Jungian shadow to bring to light and, you know, all of that. It's to really um, redevelop and renegotiate a relationship with the unknown and with the shadows you know, to be able to chill out, <laughs> you know, when it's a hot day in Minnesota in the summer, you know, you like to go into the shade under a tree. That's kind of what I'm talking about. You know? So, And what is it about Aquarius in particular? I mean, um, I feel like you're, what you're describing to me sounds like thoroughly Plutonian, but what is it that you think will amplify some of these things about its move into Aquarius from Capricorn? Well, that's where, again, I go to the backdrop 
you know, first, because I'm always, even if I'm not talking about it, that's where I'm coming from and kind of, right. you know, positioning myself. And Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces are the watery part of the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the sea goat, and then you have the water carrier, and then you have Pisces, the fish. Right. And the sea goat is in the aquifer that's under the earth. You know, so it's underneath. And Aquarius, the water carrier, is, you know, one of the ways to look at it is it's pulling up the water from the well. You know, Aquarius rules wells. So it's pulling up the water from the aquifer. So it's this move that goes from Capricorn to Aquarius to Pisces. That's a move upward in the Northern Hemisphere. That's a move that's an increase in light. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons I'm talking about light. And... Um, the focus on light, you know, over the last 500 years has skewed things very dramatically. You know, that's why the Robin Williams character in Dead Poet Society gets fired. <laughs> you know, right. he's bringing, he, he, he's, you can't predict him. He's, right. he's driven from the soul. There's this unknown element that threatens things, you know, and so boom, make him go away. And so it's, it's that piece of Aquarius that also, you know, because it's a return of the light, but it's also that Aquarius has its relationship with the edges. Mm. It has that relationship rather than the sun in the center. We're talking about the edges and the margins and the places people don't necessarily look or necessarily want to look, but that's the place that's, that's neck and neck with the unknown mm. with, and if we follow Jung again, the the future is formed in the unconscious. Mm-hmm. And so to be in touch with the edges of things is to be able to pull in the future and be a part of that, you know, to, to what's going on in the unconscious. And I don't necessarily mean the dreams you have at night. It could be that. But right. there was something about that song, Dreaming of the Queen, you know, that was like, okay, time to pull in some love again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because there are no more lovers left alive. And to be dramatic about it is like really, I think, great. You know, it, make, it makes a point, you know, it has a great way of making a point. But um, to pull from those edges is really um, the place where the the future comes from and that's you know that sense of aquarius and and the the move to the future and i want to just say one more thing unless no go ahead oh um one of the dynamics about pluto and aquarius that is really something to consider is the question how do you wrench the new from the old yeah And that's, you know, a a huge move in the culture, you know, because it's to to really pull in that new, the innovation, the invention that Aquarius is all about, you know, it's, it's leaning against often centuries of tradition or, you know, decades or centuries of the way we do things. And Pluto and Aquarius is asking for the new. Yeah. And there's something, you know, it's, it's interesting because that, well, for example, in both the Enlightenment, uh, scientific r- revolution, the age of reason, these kinds of Aquarian um, 
periods, there's a sense of like a, a prevailing attitude is that we must progress from error toward truth. And the past is often looked through that perspective. From that perspective, the past is often looked at as sort of primitive, dark, unenlightened, you know, and, and so forth. What I find interesting is that um, you will often have, like I've looked at the charts of um, a variety of people in the psychedelic uh, community that I was uh, part of, like big figures like Terrence McKenna and, and others. You'll often find a really strong Aquarian signature in some of those charts where what they are saying is almost the opposite rather than moving from error to truth in terms of like a forward movement of scientific progress or something. There's an idea of um, that it's that march of progress that has forgotten something uh, that needs to go back to the past, but the, the past here is really a metaphor. It's not, it shouldn't be taken too literally, but for example, McKenna and others were a part of a movement that was called the Archaic Revival. And a lot of them had super Aquarian signatures in their charts. And I was like, I found that interesting because it seemed like what they were saying was, well, in, it, you know, in spite of all the, the many benefits that have come about through advanced medicine and technology and stuff like that, We've also forgotten in some ways the the soul wisdom of indigenous people from thousands of years ago. Just, mm -hmm. you know, the, the march of progress can stamp those things out by looking at them as primitive rather than understanding what might have been very enlightened about a way of life that existed previously or something. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, I've also wondered about those tensions coming up because, you know, when I think about, like you said at the beginning, when I think of artificial intelligence, I think, well they're not going to crush my soul, you know, like, you know, like you were saying, like, I'm still a human soul and that's what matters. And like, how does that juxtaposition between the forward progressive futuristic thinking of Aquarius um, sort of pair with the tendency for that forward thinking to potentially stamp out something that, that lives in a darker, richer, more fertile place that could be looked at in, in an in very impatient way as like, like primitive. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it just made me think of, you know, the fact that in dead poet society, they're referencing dead poets, right? Poets from the past. Yeah. You know, that that's, you know, where they're, where they're pulling from in that movie is something to bring in inspiration for the future. Right. You know, right. Um, and to, to miss that, you know, in the interests of only moving into the future, you know, I always like having that, you know, kind of tale in the past. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. And I think that that speaks to, I mean, often I think that when people get to know Jung's psychology, um, like, as you were saying earlier, you were sort of saying like, th this isn't necessarily when I say, you know, we're looking at the unconscious, it's not like, well, let's go and figure out what's in the unconscious so we can make it conscious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, it's a little bit more like saying, well, there's, there's a, a deep soul, you know, and I think of ayahuasca and what that, the way that that opened up a reverence for the unconscious in my life, it was jungle medicine, you know, <laughs> it was like, mm -hmm. it was forest, it was deep, it was rich, it was in the soil. And, you know, um, and with a, 
indigenous healer that was whistling strange melodies that sounded hundreds and hundreds of years old. I mean, and those kinds of experiences anyway, and, and many people, you can have experiences that expose you to soul in many different ways. Right. But for me, that was a very like, Oh my God, I have a soul. Like, yeah. Cause this was a, this was soulful stuff. And I think that um, when you get in touch with that, and I think a lot of people, you could say a lot about this because you're, you, you've really had a lot of good things to say about this over time, but like, like that's, it's not exactly the idea is not exactly to once you find that soul area to be like, okay, good. Now let me excavate it, bring it all into under an examining table with a microscope, understand it all perfectly consciously integrated. It's, it's more like understanding that that's there and understanding that it has an operative power in your life and that it's a life-giving stratum of your very being and that you, you actually, you want to have a relationship with it, but you, you don't want to try to master it or colonize that space. It, yeah. It's, it's where Jung was the founder of analytical psychology and Hillman founded, in the wake of Jung, archetypal psychology, which, and, and right off the bat with archetypal psychology, he differentiates it away from analytical. Because analyzing the psyche is one thing, and it relies very heavily on what's known. You know, that's where Hillman would criticize people for going to the dream dictionary and looking up what this means, you know, rather than what archetypal psychology does is says stick with the image. Right. And one of the ways I like talking about it um, is to think about the Wizard of Oz, you know, because Dorothy starts that thing in black and white in Dust Bowl Depression era, Kansas. Mm. And what comes along, you know, the cyclone comes along, but it knocks her unconscious, like the, the weather or the storm, you know, a door, I think, swings and, you know, knocks her out. So and then she's in Oz with color and with mm. mystery and with all these other characters and all these other, you know, kind of full of imagination. But it's unconsciousness that gets her there. You know, it's following into the unconscious. And Salman Rushdie has this brilliant essay where he talks about the Wizard of Oz. And one of the things he says is, you know, that that notion of there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Like, and then you think that it's, you know, depression era, dust bowl, <laughs> black and white. You know, this is the Eden that 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 Dorothy is longing to go back oh, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he pokes fun of it, but I think in a very intelligent way, but it's the idea that, you know, entering the Oz, you know, she goes from a place where she knows where all the roads lead. Mm -hmm. And that ends up, that's when you end up in a black and white world mm -hmm. and depressed, you know, and dust bowl, you know, yeah. it's like Oz has a re reviving quality about it. You know, it's like, it's as if she can't wait to get back to bring what she's got, you know, with her. But the yellow brick road is, she doesn't know where it's going to lead. And it's circular. Right. You know, it's not a straight line. It's, you know, do you want to travel for the next 20 years on a black and white dirt road? Or right. do you want to follow the yellow brick road, which, you know, it's again, it's not the whole story, you know, but it's um, I like that as a metaphor comparison with 
consciousness compared to the unknown mm-hmm. and you know what is going on in the unknown without analyzing it too much with, yeah. you know n- n- you don't even need to analyze it at all but but live with the images live with the figures that come because that's um it it's important in ways that we don't even know yeah to make a little comparison to, and to draw it back to our discussion about aquarius and light and future and progress I think the the temptation or the compulsion that Pluto may, you know, have us getting in touch with, like exploring, if we're going to talk about shadows, let's talk about the shadow of the impulse to illuminate and clarify everything, right? Or to move toward truth from error and like just that whole trip, right? It, it's, um, I remember one time I made a comment that, um, was just off the cuff and often those are the most honest you know <laughs> someone was like don't you think it's great that the dalai lama and all these buddhists are being hooked up to electrodes and their meditations are being studied with neuroscience <laughs> and i i laughed and i was like it's just another way to kill their tradition and mm-hmm. and i and i didn't mean that to to condemn scientifically studying the value of meditation or something it was just a really super off the cup cuff sign of cynical thing that I said. And afterward, I realized like, ah, oh, there's some truth to that for me for just mm-hmm. from in my, from my perspective. Um, I prefer thinking about meditation um, with a whole romantic tapestry of images that, that come to my mind when I think about the Dalai Lama and, and Buddhists. And I'm not at all, I, I'm, I'm really not trying to say that one should not study meditation scientifically or something. It's just right. that the reason that I sort of made that comment off the cuff like that was because I don't, there's some things about meditation that for my psyche just prefer to remain in the unknown mm-hmm. that they, they have more fertile, like operative power in my, in my psyche when I just don't know certain things about them yeah. and um, I can hold them in a mystery place. And I wonder, you know, if that won't be a big challenge for some of us or for uh, the larger collective during this Pluto and Aquarius period. Yeah. I mean, I think again, to just go back to the huge cycle 500 years ago, you know, that we're, we're living in the legacy of scientific knowledge, scientific awareness, enlightenment knowledge. You know, that was when the encyclopedia came out, you know, with all of the information compiled into one and look what we have now. We have chatbots which provides this like, you know, oh, I can know even more, you know, and I can learn really quickly. I can ask it anything and I can absorb it. It's sort of like Wikipedia on steroids, you know, (laughs) blah, 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 you know, and, you know, that's, and it's made us very uncomfortable with the unknown, uh, maybe even afraid of the unknown and unfamiliar with the unknown is a strange thing as that is to say, but, you know, we could do really well to again, re kind of negotiate that relationship with the unknown where it becomes, you know, not all the time, but something exciting, something, you know, um, to look forward to something, you know, to give our, to give our, our mentally health challenged, brains arrest <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and and in that sense it's relieving yeah it's like going under that tree into the shade in the heat of winter it's like with the light of the sun of the last 500 years we need some shade to give our brains a rest to give our mental health a rest to mm-hmm. be 
to, to regain health. Yeah. Yeah. There's no <laughs> position like the, the servant of the King to know the ways of the King enough to appreciate them, but also to be the one, you know, if you're most close to the King, you can easily, you'll, you'll be the one that maybe wears out their welcome the quickest or gets tired or, or um, fed up with the King the quickest too. And that, that strikes me as appropriate for the symbolism of Ganymede, who's this cupbearer of Zeus. And it's like close proximity to this kind of, you know, traditionally Zeus is associated among other things with like the ordering principle, which is sort of similar mm -hmm. to the sun. They both can represent Kings. Um, so there's an, there's, it's, it's like, you know, something about Aquarius is like, there's a, there's a close proximity with, um, with, with Zeus or with ordering, you know, patterns of order and structure, but it's also the close proximity to them that can make you sort of disgusted and tired of them. Mm -hmm. And so I, one of the things that I think is, is promising about such periods is that you often see that romantic, the romantic period, for example, follows closely after the, the, the age of reason. Um, there's in, in to, to speak now about going back to Saturn and Pisces strikes me as promising that we have such a, in a sense, a much more romantic um, kind of uh, feeling from Saturn and Pisces, uh, who is the ruler of Aquarius as Pluto moves in, because you, I think ideally you, you, you know, for whatever quote unquote progress there is being made in industries like tech and science, you know, science and all this stuff, you, you hope that the poets will, um, you know, be close at hand so that we, you know, we, we can collectively, um, you know, like, like get fed up with it. We, we also need to be like scrutinizing and like careful of the impulse toward, toward like reason and, and order. Well, all you're, the time. you're talking to somebody who named his website, imagine astrology and his podcast, imagine that. So yeah. you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> I'm, I'm sure all the listeners I'm preaching to the choir too. <laughs> Where it's, you know, it's really that step into the romanticism of the world. This is part of the you know, episode two of my podcast, it will be is, you know, that the, um, the romantic era, you know, can come alive when, when we're looking at Pisces where Venus is exalted. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to bring it back to kind of a story kind of perspective, you know, I don't mind saying I was born with Venus in Pisces and it's hooked up with other things in my chart, but it's in the seventh house and it's on the descendant. And I come from a family where my grandparents were both musicians. They were both artists and they met at Juilliard, you <laughs> yeah. know, and they, you know, he was a violinist and she was an opera singer. And this is the family psyche that I was born into that, that, that lives when I'm in my Venus in Pisces, but, you know, listening to a lot of astrologers, you know, that kind of, you know, put Pisces or this kind of thing with delusional kind of stuff. I have had to stay away from all of that in the astrological world and figure out, you know, well, is it, you know, all that. And, <laughs> you know, the imagination, um, it's too much of a thing to head into at the, you know, at this point, but it's like, it's, um, it's so intimately connected with the soul yeah. and the soul is full of mysteries and yeah. that notion that we don't know is really important, but engaging yeah. at that level in, a, in, in the romantic style is um, just part of, 
you know, what can be accessed when planets are in Pisces, especially yeah. Neptune and even Saturn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice, nice way to put a bow on it. I, I think, um, yeah, it's like, well, if there's any, you know, if there's any silver lining here, it's that, you know, there's nothing that'll bring out the poets quicker than getting fed up with a bunch of AI bots. running around. You know? <laughs> and, you know, at the end, Scrooge softens up, you know, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And and I and I think that like it's important to remember that Saturn was in ancient astrology, Saturn was the planet that so it was said to be associated with or to rule melancholy. And that melancholy was sometimes considered an affliction, like a physical or mental illness, but it was also at times considered the gift of artists and mm -hmm. um of really special people so i think and that's um, just yeah. one thing i'd add there is you know if, if you're thinking oh i'm not an artist so what does that have to do with me or anything like that um we're at a time when you know artist doesn't just mean painter or singer or right you know musician or something like that it's the art of creating a business it's the art of what you are most passionate about what you art are excited about is to to approach it from from the position of art you know is to take it seriously in a way that saturn i believe will respect when he's moving through pisces yeah um i'm i'm remembering the um <clears throat> the jack kerouac quote that uh is the only people for me are the mad ones the ones who are mad to live mad to talk mad to be saved desirous of everything at the same time. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, <laughs> burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And in the middle, you see the blue center light pop and everybody goes, ah, oh. <laughs> that's a, it's a complicated chart there. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That makes me curious. If he, did he, I wonder, do you know his chart? I don't know. Okay. I'm just happy for the sake of just, Maybe, maybe we'll hit on something very magical here. Wouldn't that be cool? If, oh, yeah, indeed. He had the sun, Venus, and Uranus all in Pisces. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. That so fantastic? that's one of the things to keep in mind. The backdrop of all that is, you know, Venus exalted in Pisces, even if, you know, she's not there most of the time. And even if you don't have that in your chart, that becomes a factor of the times we're entering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as usual, when we hang out and talk astrology, we go in all sorts of magical directions. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciated having you here on the show today. Um, I want to direct everyone one last time to imagineastrology.com where you can check out Sean's um, latest uh, podcast, uh, the, the, first episode of his new podcast, Imagine That, Astrology and Archetypes. Uh, the first episode is The Old Man and the Sea Goat, a reflection on the final stages of Pluto in Capricorn, which I, like, again, I couldn't recommend highly enough. You can also book readings with Sean, check out the upcoming classes he has, newsletter, all sorts of ways of staying in touch with him. Sean, is there anything else that I can direct people to before we go? No, that's a lot. That's kind of the hub of everything is my website. And so, you know, I um, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about all this because it's, it couldn't be more fun to keep entertaining these topics. Yeah, for sure. And um, with you. Well, 
Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we need to do this um, more regularly. But we'll, maybe I'm gonna. Uh, I know you're gonna be busy with your pr production of your show, and we won't want to steal too much information from your show. <laughs> but um, maybe after new episodes, we will have to occasionally have you come on and give us little synopses or or talk again in new ways about the topic, and then uh, we can make sure people are aware of what the latest episodes are like. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. That would be great. Cool. Thank you, well, thank you um, again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone, I hope you all enjoyed this. We will have, we have horoscopes. Alex is joining me to break down our horoscopes for, um, all 12 signs for Saturn and Pluto entering uh, new whole sign houses in your birth chart. So we'll be doing that. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll be looking at Pluto into Aquarius and Saturn entering Pisces from a variety of different perspectives. I've already done some videos on both of these subjects in the past. If you want to go back and look at some of them, if you search in my archives for Saturn into Pisces or Pluto into Aquarius, you can find more there as well. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. As always, before we end, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments with us today. What parts um, did you did something really click for you when you heard Sean talk about the Wizard of Oz? We'd love, just love to hear what really resonated. Um, and if you want, you can find transcripts of any of my daily talks on the website, nightlightastrology.com. All right, that's it for today. Thanks everyone. Take it easy. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.